0: When the senses become really heightened, when that, when that, all of those things we fear begin to creep in, whether it's death or discomfort or hunger or my, even my own sanity, maybe I feel like I'm losing, that's when we have the potential to really learn.
1: Hey, all of you, body, mind, soul seekers, this is your doctor, Dr. Body, Mind, Soul. To expand the collective consciousness of the body-mind-soul connection so we can all learn to live a truly healthy life. Let's dive in. Today, on the final episode of season one, I am talking to Jason Gretchenik. Jason has been on a journey which has led him around the world in search of questions he has had about life. I met him in Peru at the Temple of the Way of the Light an ayahuasca healing retreat center where Jason has been living, learning and working for the last seven years. After a long apprenticeship and training involving prolonged isolation, fasting and dieting of plants, he has been given the blessing to lead ceremonies himself and he facilitated some of the ceremonies I've had the privilege to be part of. I wanted to interview Jason today for some wisdom. I, like so many of us, have been struggling to gain perspective at times during this pandemic. Being an a and doctor and working on the front line, I'm all too familiar with the effect this virus has on the body and the impact of the lockdown on our minds. But it has been harder for me to make sense of it on a more spiritual level. What this all means for us as a collective. What are the learnings we need to take from this experience? Is this nature's way of taking back control? forcing us to relinquish ours? Is this a struggle between institutional control and personal power, the economy and our health, the masculine and the feminine? This feels like an ayahuasca ceremony in real life, and I'm turning to Jason for guidance. So welcome, Jason.
0: Well, yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, I... I think those are a lot of really interesting points. I mean, even this idea about nature and, you know, I think uh, like so many things, when something happens, there's there's the reality of it. And then there's what we kind of interpret that reality to be through our own lens. And so, you know, the, the reality is, I think most people would acknowledge there's there's a virus, there's a pandemic but then the lens that we look at that through really kind of begins to shape our world and and what we what we see that as and i think you mentioned some really interesting points these these things like um you know control and and you know versus nature and you know to to some degree nature is what it is it's, it's i don't know that i would say you know nature is ever trying to control us I mean, I think control is 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 more of a human phenomenon. I think more this idea of nature, the control mechanism, I think comes more from the human mind, the human perspective. And, and it's a human phenomenon that that I see a lot in, in in the work that I do, which which you know you've also experienced. And one of the one of the really common motifs is this idea of death. A lot of the work I do is with ayahuasca which that's a Quechua word, and and that actually means vine of the dead. And I think in the societies we come from, that's a really strange phenomenon. I think a a lot of the the ways we look at life is is through this lens of of life. And it's something that we seem to be very far removed from. And and I think in that way, many of these practices that I work with, They revolve around death because death is is seen to be the great teacher. It's the great initiatory right that if we can fully go into that, we offer ourselves the chance of rebirth. But we can't be reborn unless we die. And I think, you know, so many of the things we do as a society are these kind of control mechanisms that That seemingly keep us away from death, um, and so you know one of the really common things that that happens in a lot of these this this plant work is you, you know you often hear this idea that you one needs to surrender, <laughs> and you know that that sounds a lot easier than it really is you know to surrender is the most difficult thing a human being can do. Because to surrender is to die. It's to fully let go. It's to fully give in. It's to fully accept what happens. So what I would say that that I probably seen more with the coronavirus is, you know, again, the reality of it is there is a virus. There is something that's happening. But because we have this innate, you know, fear of death, this this unresolved sense of, of what it means to truly be alive that we as 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 humans, as individuals, as collectives, as societies, as 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 nations, and even as a world, we try and implement these control mechanisms to try and stave off death, but potentially not realizing that by seemingly keeping death at 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 bay's door, we're potentially forgetting about life, we're forgetting what it means to actually be alive. And and so I see, for me, what a lot of this pandemic is pointing towards is it's just magnifying this inherent fear that we have. And, you know, seemingly, if we can control these things, if we can do lockdowns, if we can control people, control their movements, see where they're going, um, seemingly, we think that makes us safer. But in an ultimate sense, it's really just we're avoiding life, <laughs> you know, we're avoiding these things that actually make us alive. And, you know, it's not to say there, there's a there's a panacea, there, there's a catch-all solution. And, you know, if if we do this, then everything will be okay. On either side, you know, in, in the one extreme, going into full lockdown, taking away everyone's liberties, and on the other hand, doing nothing. You know, th- those are two extremes. I mean, we have, everyone has to do something. We, we have to make choice, you know, risk is inherent in life. And so we all have to make choices, you know, for ourselves, what risk am I willing to take? Um, I think one of the really unfortunate things with the, the pandemic is, um, you know, like with elders, uh, you know, people, elders going in hospitals and, and not being able to be with their family for risk of being contaminated. And, you know, to me, this is a really, a really sad thing because we're forgetting, well, in death, what is important in the life, you know, the the things like connection. And the more we isolate, the more we lock down, the, the more we stop people from doing that. We may be temporarily, you know, pushing away death, but at what cost, you know? The, the the good that's come out of this is what is important? What does it mean to be alive? And a lot of these things we've gotten away from, things like family, connection, friends, you know, the, these little things that we take for granted. And, and I think a lot of people are waking up and seeing, wow, this is not life. This is not how I want to live my life. And and then that entails, you know, how do we want to live our lives? What what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be free? You know, to what degree am i willing to take responsibility for my life for for my health to to what degree am i willing to to potentially give up some of that for what I may consider a greater good, you know? And, and so these questions are all really, really interesting. And, and I think like anything, when these, when these kind of crises happen, we tend to go to one extreme again, because of that kind of inert fear, but hopefully we come back into a balance with a, with a much more beautiful way of actually realizing what is important and and what does it mean to truly be alive? And, you know, hopefully another one of the good things about this pandemic is we realize that, you know, like, how do we take care of ourselves? What is the water we're putting in our body? What is the air we're breathing? You know, are these things important? What does it mean to hug someone? You know, I mean, most cultures have found out that one of the most cruel punishments you can do to someone is uh, solitary confinement. (laughs) because you cut them off from human connection, Uh, you know, in in, in many ways that some people would prefer death to that, you know, because one begins to go crazy. One begins to lose their mind. So, you know, again, it's this paradox we're individual beings, and yet we exist within a a whole within, within families, you know, we're not just born randomly. We're, we're born from a family. We're born into a society. We're born into a culture. And these things have a lot of importance and, and they, they shape who we are, and you know to some degree they they give us values they they shape what we want in life how we look at the world and and i think all of those things are really important and you know i think also personally one thing i i see with i think what a lot of this pandemic has pointed towards is i think uh, you know and again there's always two sides to things but i think one of the the, the negatives of what this pandemic is doing is it's moving towards this idea of this centralization that everyone in the world needs to act or believe or follow in the same things and you know i think one of the beauties of the world is that we're different you know we do have different values we 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 want to live our lives in different ways as individuals as cultures as societies and when we have this kind of top down structure that's saying no this is how everyone has to live their lives well, who gets to choose that? Who gets to decide that for me, for, for my community, for my culture? You know, what if we want to live a different way?
1: So, yeah, I mean, I guess that, you know, where is our individual responsibility? Where is our collective responsibility, not only within our own societies, but in a global sense? I guess we're seeing gross inequality already with who the virus disproportionately affects, but then also vaccines and, and how, that will, how that will play out. Yeah, I'm curious on your thoughts around individualism, collectivism. I don't know is that is that the is that the is that the mm-hmm. the counter to to individualism? Yeah, what what what's your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, all of these things are, are are very complex, and you know, as you pointed out, you know, certainly um, this pandemic can can shine light on on, on a lot of things. The, the way I would tend to look at it more, and again, <laughs> it's funny because I'm going back to the Tao Te Ching, but there's this quote in there, which is really beautiful, and it, it it's kind of counterintuitive. But they say, let go of the common good, and the good becomes as common as grass. And I think that's initially kind of shocking to a lot of people. But you know what I've come to see behind that is, you know, when we have these ideas of, of a collective good, then it means there's someone deciding what that collective good is. You know, it comes from a centralized authority or source or someone who's saying, what is the good of the collective? You know, there, there, there's something, you know, you mentioned this idea about nature. And I think one of the amazing things about nature is that we could say that nature is always in balance, and i think sometimes we have this idea that you know things are out of balance but that fundamentally can never be true you know there's only a balance it's just you know if i push one direction then i i shift the balance that direction if i push too far the other direction i shift the balance towards that direction and and there's a cost for everything there there's a there's a payment for everything. I I do a little work with this um, Colombian, uh, he comes from a group called the Arawaku, and he would say essentially that that all of our problems come from this idea that we haven't made a payment. And he doesn't mean, you know, like a cash payment, you, you go out and you give someone some cash. But that if there's a problem, there's, there's been an imbalance in the way that we haven't made a payment for it. But from, from a bigger point of view, it's not out of balance. It's just we've shifted the balance. You know, if, if I'm ingesting chemicals all day and then I get sick, it's not that, that there's an imbalance. It's that I brought the balance to this one extreme and now I'm sick because that's where the balance is. And, you know, I mean, even even our ideas of disease, I mean, that's what disease means. It means to not be at ease, but it's not that there's not a balance. It's just the balance has shifted towards the spectrum of disease rather than the spectrum of ease, you know, and I think what we're all looking for is a state of ease, a state of, of a balance within ourselves where things flow. And so we're always trying to find that harmony, but we we never do because it's, things constantly change and we always have to flow and adapt with those changes. And so I, I think this, this kind of idea behind the individual good and the common good, they're actually not separate. What is good for the collective is good for the individual. What's good for the individual is good for the collective. And so I think what they're pointing to in, 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 in the Tao is when we let go of those ideas of you know, what is good for other people, and I trust in reality, I trust in nature, then things actually flow in the way they're supposed to. Because ultimately, you know, I can never know what's good for you. There may be certain principles that I think, hey, if you follow that, that's going to be good for you. There, there may be certain principles that I think for the world, if they follow that, that will be beneficial. But I can never inherently know I can't know for myself through trial through error through experimentation what is good for me and if I'm doing what's good for me then I'm also doing what's good for the world you know and some people may extrapolate from that well then that means I can you know go fly all around the world and I don't need to have any commitments and I don't need to have any responsibilities no that's not the case because there we will be we will have to pay for that in some way You know, so if I'm not looking after people, if I'm not being responsible, if I'm not doing certain things, there is a payment for that. It could be depression. It could be sickness. It could be anxiety. It could be never feeling connection. It could be never having a family. It could be never experiencing love. Whatever those things are, you know, nothing comes for free. There's a cost to everything. And so, you know, as we begin to harmonize those things, I think we create the collective that is good for everyone in honoring everyone's paths. And again, you know, the danger comes when we, I think when we have the centralized authority that's telling us this is the collective good and you must abide by it. And if you don't, there's gonna be X, Y, and Z consequence. And, you know, I think as you were saying, there is a, there's a diversity amongst people. There's a diversity amongst ourselves economically, socially, values, our culture. And I think we all realize those things are important, but if they are important, then we also have to honor that. We have to value that and realize that people are different and there can't be a centralized view that fits Everything. I mean, we we have these expressions in our culture, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And that's true. You know, one size doesn't fit all. So how do we value people? How do we, how do we value what they have to offer? How do we value different points of view? And and I think that really comes from more of this decentralized idea of valuing what people value as good, what they don't value as good, and and giving people that freedom and that power to live their lives in the way that they want. And if someone is suffering, you know, again, one of the the things that I've really learned from the work I do is of course there's suffering i mean that's a that's a fundamental spiritual concept that was the buddha's main concept is suffering is inherent to life but with that there's a way out of that suffering I mean, I guess bringing the analogy of even like a ceremony, it's, um, as you said, everyone has a very different experience for some people. It's blissful, joyous, illuminating for other people. Some nights it feels like they're in hell and just complete terror and fear and disgust. And, and then the next night it can change too. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, like we're all as humans looking for that state of ease, for that state of comfort. But I think sometimes we can create these maybe artificial comforts which can be good, but they can also limit us in a way. And that's where I think these things like plant medicine, rituals, ceremonies are really vital because they take us out of that comfort zone. So how can we find our center in that chaos? And and that's a very different thing than to find our center in this normal day-to-day life. But I think those experiences are very important. And, and there's something that, that maybe in, in, in a lot of the cultures we come from, we've lost. And I think traditionally, a lot of cultures really valued these points in, in one's life where they, they went outside their comfort zone, whether that was a ceremony or a vision quest or a period of fasting, or, because there's a tremendous amount of learning that happens in that experience you know when when the senses become really heightened when that when that the, all of those things we fear begin to creep in whether it's death or discomfort or hunger or my even my own sanity maybe i feel like i'm losing that's when we have the potential to really learn you know, I, I think in in, in our normal day to day lives, we have those potentially those potentialities all the time. It's just they're much more subtle, and so it's hard, it's more difficult to potentially connect. And often, when those potentialities arise, we have taught ourselves these ways of maybe moving around them. You know, a little discomfort arises, so we eat some ice cream or we turn on Netflix. In a lot of these these other practices, the, the dial is turned up so high that, you know, as you saw, there's kind of no escaping it. <laughs> Whichever way I turn, I'm still there and it's not comfortable. But there's a real value in that, because if I can learn to navigate those spaces, if I can learn what that experience is trying to teach me, that's kind of the death experience. And in that archetype, then I'm reborn from that. And I take that rebirth back into my my daily life, and then I'm able to to live that much better. You know, the, the things that potentially affected me in my daily life now, they don't seem like that big of a deal media i don't think this is a secret <laughs> it feeds off of fear i mean that's what it does fear sells it it keeps us tuning in you know if 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 all it's showing is birds flying around. Well, why would I watch the TV for that? I can go outside and see that. Or we, we, we were gravitated towards that kind of negativity in the news because it's not something we see every day. And so it it kind of charges us and it, 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 there's adrenaline rush and it makes us have to think Oh, I need to be careful. I need to keep tuning into this because I need to know all of these things that are wrong, so again, I can control, I can protect myself or my family. And you know, certainly there, there's a nobility in that. But the, the, when going back to the relative perspective, when we're looking at media and we're being fed all of these things, we forget that most of those things are, are a relatively small portion. Yes, maybe someone was shot today. That's a horrible thing. How do we fix that? But that's not the reality of most people living their day-to-day lives, no matter what community you're in, no matter where you're coming. So these things are good to, to know. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we enact change. But we also have to look at it from a relative perspective that, you know, that's, that's that. That's a reality. But there's also another reality, which is the same reality, which is very different you know i think even with a lot of the pandemic uh, early on i saw like a very similar language that's been used by the media in a lot of what what i would really just call propaganda which is very much this warlike propaganda and you know what we consider war Is really just the final result of the insanity of humanity. That, you know, we view other people as the enemy. And it's a similar language, you know, it's it's this other country's fault. We have to fight them. They're the bad guys. We need to conquer them, and then we'll be happy. And then that shifts to uh, terrorism you know which is even more kind of obscure because it doesn't really exist in one place it's kind of everywhere so they're the bad guys we have to fight them and once we eliminate them then we'll be happy and and I you know I also see that now with this pandemic too is a lot of that same language we're at war with this virus and once we defeat it then we can go back to our normal lives rather than seeing kind of that insane belief system which is we never return to normality after we defeat something because life always continues to go on new things arise there's we can always have an enemy you know there's going to be another virus of course there will be there'll, there'll be other things that happen other events so I think it's important for us all, and, and I think that's you know really beautiful things like you're doing, like other people are doing, is presenting information in a way that's not inherently fear-based, that's actually educational, that's, that's showing change. How do we move forward? How do we look at things through a different lens? What are other opinions? And, and that's so valuable. and you know, it, it's almost I think we're in a time of a reality war, because depending on where we source our information from we have a completely different view of the world. You know, if someone is getting their information from a more right-leaning source and someone is getting their information from a more left-leaning source, they have a completely different way of looking at the world, <laughs> you know, and so much so that we were almost, we feel justified in demonizing the other side and labeling them as evil, as, you know, fascists, as, as whatever, so much that we're almost willing maybe we 're not quite there, but moving to that point of we 're willing to kill them because they 're the bad guys they 're the enemies and and this is how all war is created it 's this position, this stance that i 'm right, my position is correct, and so much that you know maybe I begin to to chastise, to label, and eventually i 'll censor that direction where it continues to move is eventually i 'm justified in killing you and and this is an insane belief system and so you know i, I think things like you're doing are are are, are a way out and, and i think that's the again maybe one of the good things of this pandemic is i think people are turning away more and more from this kind of one way of looking at things whether we call it mainstream not not even in a negative way but just simply in, in the the reality of the world that the mainstream and looking at other perspectives getting different voices hearing different people and that's so valuable and and that's only enlightening you know whether i agree with the person whether i don't agree with them they're going to have some good points they're going to have some not so good points but the more we can do that i think the better we are as as individuals as societies and and hopefully we can continue to grow in that way so I think hopefully something that comes of this is you know we're all humans, and I think there's this idea of you know trust, you know trust in each other. I think a lot of people have lost trust in the mainstream media because there there is conflicting messages. people see that. There's inherent bias that they're, you know, a lot of the messages they're saying, you know, like in, in the U.S., you know, governors making mandates that you can't go to a restaurant, but then they go to a restaurant or you can't get a haircut, but then they're getting a haircut. And so people lose faith in that because, again, it's coming from a, a, a centralized source saying you can't do this, but them saying that that's maybe not really what they truly believe. And. You know, I think there's a beauty in trusting in people and trusting that people will look after themselves and they will look after their families. And, you know, nobody wants to endanger someone else or nobody wants to hurt someone else. But if they're receiving conflicting information, then they don't know what to do. And, And in that way, it's also difficult to blame someone. So, you know, I think we're also in this interesting time where we used to look to these few sources as reality as this is what is real. And I think something that's been shifting because of the internet, because of social media, because of even this these these times where people potentially do have a lot more time on their hand to go in and to, to investigate things, is people are really questioning what's real. You know, who who is telling the truth? Who's not telling the truth? And And I think ultimately that's a good thing. Obviously there's going to be chaos that emerges from that, you know, like, like kind of you saw, or many people have seen in their, their plant medicine experiences. When that chaos emerges, it's uncomfortable. You know, there is no grounding. There's no centeredness. We feel like everything's falling apart. But I think the good that emerges out of that is when we go through that, we come to a much more grounded place. And you know, as I was saying, I, I I think things like you're doing are very good because I think a lot of people, if there's a, you know, a reputable doctor who, you know, isn't getting paid by some mainstream media source who, who, who doesn't have, you know, benefits to saying a certain message, but is really just coming from a place of like, Hey, this is what I see. This is what I see day in and day out. And, and I think people resonate with that. You know, people resonate when they hear the truth. And, and I think It's something that I think a lot of us have this, again, this inherent bias where we think we're smart, we know what the truth is, but other people don't. (laughs) But everyone thinks that, you know, so people do have that ability to decipher what's true. And, you know, not everybody, not all the time. I certainly don't know what's true in everything in the world. You know, I would imagine you don't. Nobody does. And, and that's why we do need to rely on experts and authorities and, you know, people in their fields who do have a better sense of things. And so, but I think, you know, the more the more information we have access to, ultimately, the better. Obviously, again, we have to sift through that. We have to decipher certain things. There's going to be, you know, crazy people spouting certain stuff. But I think most of us, we have the ability to see through that. And, and the more we're exposed to that, uh, you know, it's like teaching kids, you know, it's that classic parable, you know, feed a, feed a man a fish, you, or give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish and you feed him for life. And I think it's the same with this information and media. It's, we also have to learn, you know, how to decipher things, how to, how to look at things. And rather than just saying, Hey, this is the source, this is the information, believe it because it's true. Obviously, when that breaks down, again, there's going to be this kind of confusion and and that's kind of scary for people. And death is going to arise from that confusion, scams, poverty, warfare, of course, all of that is going to arise because that's part of the process. But I think hopefully what emerges from that is much like a ceremony when all of these, you know, wars and chaos and craziness arises is when we emerge from that, we emerge in a much more grounded state. And, and and, you know, the, the true definition of, like, for example, ayahuasca, the, the Shipibo who I work with, their word for ayahuasca is actually uni. And uni is usually translated in English, something like wisdom. And so that these plants, they're trying to impart upon us wisdom. And it's this similar idea you have in Christianity with gnosis. You know, the idea, it's not a knowing of like, I know that this book is green. it's I know, I I experience the message that that book is trying to teach me. And that's a very different knowing. It's a very different wisdom. It's something that has to be experienced through going into the chaos, through going into the ugliness, through going into the confusion and merging from that. And and then having a, a deep experiential wisdom of, you know, what is good, what is true. And also the humility to realize that we don't have all the answers and nobody does. And as you said, then as a collective, how do we come together? Because any collective is a group of individuals. So how do we come together as a collective, as a group of individuals, and 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 do better and, and try and you know protect ourselves, protect our families, protect our loved ones, protect society and do it in the in a way that that truly benefits. And of course, there's always going to be a cost. (laughs) Like that Aruwaku guy was saying, there's always a payment. But what are we willing to do as individuals? What are we willing to do as societies that honor that extreme, broad, diverse group of people that comprise that and is still at the same time trying to honor potentially something that's greater than all of that as well?
1: That feels like a really optimistic way to, to end our conversation, this feeling that we are living through what feels like a really chaotic time. From my experience in ceremony, it can be super uncomfortable. It can be It can be super all of the things, which I feel in a way has been similar to so many of our experiences through through this pandemic, just quite a disorientating experience. But through it, if we take the time to... Reflects and feel all the feels. Actually, be with the discomfort. But now we've truly experienced what it feels like to be disconnected from people. To, to treat our elders with disrespect. We really like understood. I think there's the well. Uh, there'll be there'll be individual learnings that we'll all have taken from our own same and very different experiences. And I guess it's our responsibility to take what we've learned forwards into our lives. I was going to say when we come through this, but I guess we can do that from whenever we choose to do that. Because as you have said, our life is always in flux and we will never go back to what was because we're in a constant state of evolution and all we can do is ride the wave, I guess. So, oh, I have so much, so much gratitude for you sharing your perspective here and uh, to have had this conversation. And um, I I feel, I I feel more optimistic (laughs) um, myself.
0: Um, Oh, it's my pleasure. And, um, you know, like I said, I I think you're doing a beautiful thing and I think voices like yours are are really important to 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 be a light in chaos and uh, so and so I really congratulate you because also you're doing it now you know you're not waiting and 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 you know now is always the time now is when voices are needed and and um, I think it's a beautiful thing you're doing so it was my pleasure to come on and talk I, I'm, I'm very happy you invited me.
1: Oh, thank you so, so much. For anyone interested to hear Jason's podcast, it's called The Universe Within and it's a beautiful podcast that I love to listen to these really deep dive conversations that Jason has with all sorts of members of the plant medicine community. Till next time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, my pleasure, June.
1: Thank you so, so much for joining me today. If you have any questions relating to this episode, or you have a topic you would like me to explore on the next podcast, shoot me a DM on Instagram at drbodymindsoul.